science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold from actinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Welcome aboard. We still have one question hanging over from last week. How can the instructions to slip, slop, and slap contribute to health? If you know the answer to that, 514-790-0800, and you can also text us at 514-800. The second question that I will add today is the following. Infectious diseases are normally caused by bacteria, viruses, fungi, or parasites, collectively referred to as microbes. But there is at least one infectious disease that is not caused by a microbe. What disease is that? Again, the same phone number, 514-790-0800. I'm Joe Schwartz. When I don't chat with you here Sunday afternoons, I direct McGill's Office for Science and Society, where we have a mandate to demystify science, to separate sense from nonsense, make sure that you're up, up to date on what is happening in the world of science. And of course, we try to keep people out of the clutches of charlatans. Well, there is unfortunately a lot happening in the world of science, and most of it revolves around uh, uh, COVID. And, uh, you know, the, that light at the end of the tunnel is, is, is getting a little bit dimmer because of the emergence of this uh, Delta variant. And as you probably have heard in the U.S., the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC in Atlanta, has gone back uh, to the advice to uh, wear masks at indoor uh, activities. What is the change? Well, it seems that that change was triggered by what are called breakthrough infections, that is infections in people who have been already uh, vaccinated. And uh, it was traced to some public gatherings in Cape Cod, that of course is in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, these infections were all sequenced and found to be the Delta variant. So here is a statistic uh, on which they made this recommendation. There were 469 cases that were linked to summer events around uh, Cape Cod. And 74% of these, that is 346 of these, occurred in fully vaccinated people. And um, many of these were symptomatic, although generally not all that uh, serious. There were five hospitalizations, and uh, some of these were uh, fully vaccinated, but there were no deaths. And it turns out that, uh, you know, the Delta variant is, is just uh, sweeping, not only across Cape Cod, but across the country. And uh, while certainly the vaccine does protect uh, against it to to a significant extent in that it is keeping most people out of the hospital. Nevertheless, it is becoming uh, quite worrisome. So at this point, uh, I think the indoor masking guidance uh, should be followed. And uh, we are not out of the woods with this. And uh, we have to um, abide by the public health regulations. And uh, certainly all of these demonstrations to get rid of the mask and, and to not be vaccinated are, are just misguided. 
and are going to lead us down the uh, indeed a very very treacherous uh, path and uh, it's going to be a while we before we climb out of this but it has to be really a, a communal effort uh, in order to to get out okay let's get down to some matters of the day first i want to tell you a little bit about queen victoria uh, she of course was the longest reigning monarch until elizabeth came along and she was uh, believe it or not very interested in science and that is because her husband prince albert uh, who originally was from germany uh, was himself very interested in science and uh, he was a great promoter of uh, scientific research in in england and the queen herself uh, enjoyed hearing about science and one day she invited dr john henry pepper uh, he had nothing to do with his soft drink uh, business to carry out a demonstration because uh, pepper was the director of the royal polytechnic institute in london which already was a highly respected uh, science establishment so anyway she invited uh, john pepper to show her some uh, science and he did and the queen watched as uh, dr pepper picked up a bottle that seemed to be empty and said to the queen and now the oxygen and hydrogen will have the honor of combining before your majesty just as he said that he pulled out the stopper in the bottle pointed the neck at an open flame and the queen of england and her entourage were astounded by a loud bang and a flash you know why because the hydrogen that had filled the bottle combined with oxygen in the air in a spectacular fashion now this was in the 1850s and as i said dr pepper was the director of the royal polytechnic institution and he was explaining to the monarch that the two elements reacted to form water with the release of a lot of energy hydrogen could turn out to be a great fuel pepper went on if only it could be obtained more easily well back then in the 1800s uh, it was not possible to make significant quantities of hydrogen. Uh, how did Pepper make it? The same way that uh, back in 1671, Robert Boyle, uh, widely regarded as one of the fathers of modern chemistry, had made it. And uh, Boyle had described how he had added acid to metal filings, and that resulted in copious fumes that were given off, and these would readily catch fire and burn, as he said, with more strength than one would easily suspect. Well, Pepper wasn't the only one in Victorian times to contemplate using hydrogen as a source of energy. Jules Verne, one of my favorite writers, uh, and uh, I remember uh, being uh, absolutely fascinated by uh, Jules Verne's books back when uh, I started reading them in, uh, in grade three. And uh, I had read The Mysterious Island, which is still, which is still one of my favorites. Uh, Jules Verne wrote that book in 1874. And uh, it was about uh, uh, people being shipwrecked on an island uh, after their balloon in which they had traveling was caught by the wind and uh, they crashed on a, a deserted island. And uh, one of the shipwrecked uh, uh, people is an engineer who speculates, quote, water will one day be employed as fuel and the hydrogen and oxygen which constitute it 
used singly or together, will furnish an inexhaustible source of heat and light. That was Jules Verne in 1874. That was a long time ago. I mean, Verne, of course, was uh, uh, a visionary. You know, uh, if you ever read uh, his other books, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, of course, in, in which he uh, talked about an electrically powered submarine and a journey from the Earth to the moon, where he basically foresaw space travel. So anyway, uh, in Mysterious Island, his uh, engineer proposed that sometime in the future, uh, hydrogen will be a virtually inexhaustible form of, of energy. Well, you know what? We're not quite there yet. Uh, but we're getting closer to Verne's futuristic vision. Hydrogen, indeed, is the ultimate clean fuel, since the only product produced when it burns is water. Japan, aiming towards what is to be called the hydrogen society that minimizes fossil fuels, has symbolically chosen hydrogen to create the flame in the Olympic cauldron. When hydrogen burns, uh, electron-hungry oxygen atoms snatch electrons from hydrogen with the resulting negative oxygen and positive hydrogen ions then combining to form water as a lot of energy is, is liberated. <clears throat> well, uh, how is hydrogen going to be used in the future as a source of energy? It does not necessarily have to be burned as it is done in the Olympic uh, cauldron. In the Olympic uh, Village right now, athletes are being transported to their venues in hydrogen-powered buses. But there is no flame in any of these buses. The hydrogen is being used in a different way, and that is what becomes very interesting because that is the mode that has a tremendous potential for the future. We call it the fuel cell. So I want to describe that to you. I want to tell you how hydrogen may be used in a fuel cell. But before we do that, we've got to take a bit of a break. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show, and we'll be right back after we check what is happening out there in traffic. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Okay, let me get back to those hydrogen-fueled buses that are transporting the Olympic athletes. And, and uh, they also appear in some cities. They, they have them in Vancouver. I haven't yet seen any in, uh, in Montreal. But again, uh, hydrogen is not being burned uh, in these uh, buses. It is being used in the form of fuel cells. A uh, fuel cell is a device in which you have two electrodes one uh, electrode is filled with hydrogen that is being piped into it. The other one has oxygen piped into it. These two electrodes are separated by what is known as an electrolyte. That's a solution through which ions can travel. Anyway, to make a long story short, the oxygen uh, is able to take electrons away from the hydrogen that flows through an external circuit. And it is the electricity that is then used to power an electric uh, motor. But there's a fly in this ointment because today the vast majority of hydrogen, and there's a lot of hydrogen that is manufactured around the world because it is needed to make ammonia for fertilizer. But the vast majority is made by something called steam reformation. Uh, and in that process, methane, which is natural gas, is reacted with steam to yield hydrogen. 
but the byproduct of that reaction is carbon dioxide. And that, of course, is the notorious greenhouse gas. And uh, this is not something that we want to be filling the atmosphere with. This is the reason, of course, that we're concerned about burning uh, fossil fuels. Now, while the carbon dioxide can be captured and sequestered underground, it's a very expensive business. So the holy grail of energy production is what we call green hydrogen. And that is hydrogen produced without the use of any fossil fuel. Well, those of you who remember your high school chemistry will have learned, or at least should have learned, that passing an electric current through water causes it to break down into hydrogen and oxygen. That's electrolysis is the technical term for this. That term was first coined by the brilliant British chemist Michael Faraday. In any case, uh, if we can produce hydrogen through electrolysis, uh, with the electrolysis reaction being somehow not fueled with fossil fuels, then we would have green hydrogen. Well, how can we do this? Solar power, wind power, tidal power, that can do it. If you are getting energy from solar panels, that can be converted to electricity. That electricity passes through water. The water breaks down into hydrogen, oxygen. You can collect the, the hydrogen. The hydrogen can be compressed and stored in cylinders for further use. Whereas, of course, with just solar energy, you can't bottle it. But hydrogen, you can bottle. So green hydrogen can be made by uh, electrolysis as long as the electricity needed can be obtained without burning fossil fuels. And in Japan, they are doing this. They have a, a huge array of solar panels, which is generating the hydrogen that is being used in the fashion that I, I, I mentioned. And uh, a lot of people are, of course, are worried about the use of hydrogen because they recall the Hindenburg disaster in which the, uh, the airship exploded. But today, hydrogen can be transported very safely. Uh, the containers that are used are, are, are such that that uh, explosion or, uh, is, is virtually impossible. They're made of carbon fiber and they're essentially uh, explosion proof. So while hydrogen is not yet set to replace fossil fuels globally, it is certainly making a lot of inroads. Uh, besides the Olympics that I already mentioned, Saudi Arabia is building a, a city, a futuristic city called Neom, N-E-O-M. It is designed uh, for a million people and the city will be powered totally by green hydrogen. That's interesting, especially because that's in Saudi Arabia, you know, where uh, they obviously have fossil fuels, but they're looking to the future when fossil fuel economy will uh, not be lucrative anymore, but the hydrogen economy uh, will be. So there's the interesting story of what we call green hydrogen. It is hydrogen generated by electrolysis, where the electricity to produce the, the reaction is coming from sun power or wind power or tidal power. All right, let's go to the lines. Esme. Yes, hello. Hi. You got an answer for me or a question? Um, yes, I think I have an answer. Um, mad cow disease? Yes, very good. Uh, uh, as I said, infectious diseases uh, normally, you know, it's viruses, fungi, parasites, all kinds of microbes. But there's at least one disease that is not caused by a microbe, and that is mad cow disease. 
Uh, and rat cow disease, of course, we heard a lot about in the 1980s. And it is caused by a protein called a prion, P-R-I-O-N. And what happens is that this uh, protein, if it gets into the bloodstream, it attacks other proteins, normal proteins in cells, and causes them to fold in an abnormal fashion that makes them insoluble. So they begin to aggregate in the cells and precipitate, and that kills the cells. And when the cell dies, these abnormal prions are released to infect other cells. It's a, a terrible disease, and it's been known in sheep uh, in sheep, it's called scrapey because infected animals scrape against trees and fence posts. And the mad cow epidemic of the 1980s is thought to have been started when infected sheep remnants were fed to cattle, which of course is not done anymore. And uh, that scare back then result, uh, resulted in millions of cattle being slaughtered. And unfortunately, several hundred people in, in England uh, suffered from the technical term being bovine spongiform encephalopathy. Uh, terrible business, uh, but uh, the cause was figured out, and uh, we have not uh, seen this since then. But this is uh, one of those rare diseases which is not caused by uh, a microbe. So thanks very much for that, uh, that answer. And as usual, I will replace that question by another one. We, we, of course, still have the question of slip, slop, slap hanging out there. How did this contribute to health? Now, he, this one, I think, is going to be challenging. And uh, you'll be able to scamper on the internet while we will be listening to the news. So we're going back to 2005, when members of THONG, and that's an abbreviation for Topless Humans Organized for Natural Genetics, and this was a group that protested in front of an Eddie Bauer clothing store with some of the protesters having an arrow on their back, painted on their back, pointing to their rear with the inscription, there's plenty of room at the bottom. What were they protesting? I think you will find that this has a very interesting question or answer, and we'll see whether or not you can come up with uh, a possible theory about what these members of a group who called themselves topless humans organized for natural genetics, what were they protesting when they had written on their rear, there's plenty of room at the bottom. And uh, uh, a clue here, of course, is that they were protesting in front of uh, an Eddie Bauer clothing store. The question is, what is it that they were uh, protesting? All right, just to recap again, the other question that we still have uh, out there, how can the instructions to slip, slop, and slap contribute to our health? And I'll give you a clue for that one. Uh, that uh, uh, statement originates in Australia. And I think you can probably figure out uh, what there is in Australia that people are very worried about. And of course, we have similar concerns here as well. You're listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We're going to take a break and check out what CTV News is all about.
life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Do you look upon the universe with wonder in your eyes? Do you tingle with attention when you're taken by surprise? If a problem should perplex you, does it put your brain in gear? Then you're ready for adventure on the science frontier. I had a text message. Uh... Geo wants to know how come we're celebrating travel to space as a form of entertainment for the rich? If our planet is on the verge of climate catastrophe, should we not stop these activities that expand enormous amounts of fossil fuels for the sole purpose of pleasure? Well, they do not expand enormous amounts of fossil fuels. Uh, SpaceX, which is the most viable of all the, the, uh, the systems, that's Elon Musk's system, uses hydrogen as the fuel, oxygen as the oxidizer, so the only product of that reaction is water. Uh, similarly, Jeff Bezos' uh, uh, recent uh, flight was powered by hydrogen. Uh, Richard Branson was not. Richard Branson's space plane used polybutadiene as, as fuel and uh, uh, nitrous oxide as oxidizing agent, so that would produce some uh, carbon dioxide. But uh, the main systems that are going to be used for future space travel are based upon using hydrogen as fuel, oxygen as oxidizing agent, so they do not contribute uh, carbon dioxide, although the heat of the engine does allow nitrogen and oxygen in the air to unite and form some oxides of nitrogen, which are also uh, a pollutant. So yes, there is some pollution involved, but uh, it is not uh, carbon dioxide that is the uh, issue. Okay, uh, we have people on the line. Let's go to Doris. Hello. Yes, Doris. Yeah. Uh, hello. I wanted to ask, uh, what is the data like today? What Dr. Don Shepard from McGill told at the beginning, that uh, peop there are 80% people uh, carrying the virus without any symptom. It should be yes. changed now that so many had the vaccine already. Right. Uh, I didn't hear what Don said, but... Whatever Don says, you can take to the bank. No, no, is, but what is today? Because I remain at the 80%, and uh, that's very scary. It, it is scary. It is scary. I, 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 I haven't seen today's data. I, I don't know. But uh, a lot of people who are double vaccinated can can carry the uh, the virus and can transmit it. But again, as I said earlier, the, the somewhat comforting uh, uh, business is that uh, people are not ending up in large numbers in hospitals here. Although in the States, of course, it is becoming once again catastrophic. If you look at Florida, where of course they have relaxed all regulations and nobody's wearing masks, now they are paying the penalty for that. But uh, right now here, uh, the numbers, at least from uh, yesterday, uh, are are not uh, terrible. I don't know what yesterday infection was, some, something in the low hundreds. So, uh, of course, we should be wearing masks in, in uh, stores and in indoor environments, but I don't think we need to panic yet uh, here, but we need to certainly, uh, you know, pay attention to public health and, uh, advice. Okay, let's go to Milad. Milad? Yes. Uh, yes, sir. I have, yes, I have the answer for your first question. Go uh, ahead. The, contrib the contribution to health would be a protection against skin cancer. 
Yes, it is. And uh, the slip slap slop, of course, comes from Australia to slip on a slip on a shirt, slap on a hat and slosh on some uh, sunscreen. And of course, that is very good advice, especially in Australia, which has the highest rate of skin cancer in the world, uh, because they are addicted to lying out in the sun. And of course, in Australia, they also do have plenty of, uh, of sun. So yes, uh, that's the answer to that question. Thanks very much. Okay, let's go to Debbie. Okay, I think Debbie already was going to give the same same answer. All right. Uh, so I still have the, the question hanging out there, which I said would be somewhat a difficult question. In 2005, these people who called themselves THONG, which was uh, just an acronym, and uh, they were protesting in front of an Eddie Albert store, and uh, they were sporting signs uh, with an arrow on their back pointing to their rear. And uh, the inscription, there's plenty of room at the bottom. Okay, what is it that those people were protesting? Let me talk just for a minute about dented cans because I often get questions uh, about this. Should we throw them out? Uh, is the food inside safe to eat? Well, to address that question, we have to know a little bit about the canning process. Uh, microbes like bacteria, molds, uh, uh, these uh, are the kind of foods that, you know, uh, we worry about. I mean, you don't want any, any food that contains uh, bacterial molds in it. And uh, they make us sick. Uh, furthermore, food itself tends to degrade with time as its own enzymes begin to break down the proteins and carbohydrates and fats. Well, the canning process is an effective way around this problem. In the canning process, heat is used to destroy harmful organisms and to deactivate the enzymes that would spoil food. The tight seal protects the food from outside contamination. Nicolas Appert invented canning in 1809 in response to a prize offered in 1795 by the French government. He heated food in a glass flask, sealed it with a cork, uh, but he had no theoretical explanation for why this worked. It was left to Louis Pasteur to eventually explain what was going on here. The canning process is very effective, and cans which were produced over 100 years ago have been opened and eaten. The problem is if there's a defect in the can or if the heating wasn't done properly. One giveaway is a bulging can. Bacterial activity produces gas, and any can that bulges should be thrown away. Dented cans are a different story. The concern here is that denting puts strain on the metal and microscopic cracks can develop. The sterility is then lost and microbes and molds can enter through those pinholes. That risk is very small because usually dents do not produce holes. If there's a real crimp in the metal, then don't take any chances, throw it out. But if the dent is not deep, there's no reason not to eat the food. It is interesting to note that the can opener was not developed until about 50 years after the invention of the can. Canned foods were mostly used as military rations and soldiers would open them with their bayonets, or at least in one case, with a rifle bullet. Some cans actually carried instructions to cut around the top with a hammer and chisel. Thank goodness we don't have to do that anymore. In 1870, William Lyman invented the cutting wheel type of can opener and changed the dietary habits of the world. 
And as I said, it was Louis Pasteur who explained what was going on, that it was bacterial contamination in the food that could possibly produce toxins and produce gases that would make the, the, the can bulge. Uh, the downside of, of canned foods is that they generally tend to be very high in salt. These are highly processed foods, so always check the amount of sodium that is in, in the canned foods. And uh, I told you last time the kind of numbers that we should be looking at. Uh, generally, the official guidance is that we should be consuming less than 2,300 milligrams of sodium a day. Uh, but many authorities think that that is uh, a little bit high. And uh, 1,500 is, is a better target. Now, you may think that you're not eating a lot of canned food. And that may be the case if you don't buy canned food, but uh, you are still eating it. Because if you go and have a pizza, uh, the tomato sauce undoubtedly came from a can. And in many, many cases, processed foods contain ingredients that were originally stored in, in cans. Now, why would that be a concern uh, aside from the sodium content? Because in some cases, although this is becoming uh, more and more rare, uh, the inside of the, the can, the lining, had some lead in it because of the seal around the, uh, the can. When you make a can, of course, it's made from metal, and the metal has to have a, a seam in it. And the older cans had lead in them, but that now is, is very rare. The concern now is that bisphenol A may be leaching out from the can lining, and there's a lining in the can, of course, to protect the food from the can and the can from the food. Uh, and uh, the uh, polycarbonate or epoxy resins that have been used before in the lining now are being replaced. And uh, the, the plastics that are now used uh, do not leach any kind of uh, bisphenol A. Uh, so the main worry today about cans is the sodium content. Okay. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. We are born to do science. A baby can do it and so can you. We are born to do science. Just figure it out what's true. As some of you know, uh, I started doing uh, daily, at least weekday, daily uh, short videos, roughly three to four minutes about interesting things in the world of science. And uh, I try to make them informative and, and fun. Uh, if you want to join, uh, you want them to arrive in your email inbox, uh, just uh, give me an email and I will put you on the list. So anyway, my email is joe, that's J-O-E dot S-C-H-W-A-R-C-Z at mcgill.ca. And I can put you on the mailing list. But uh, I also uh, put these on Facebook. And you can also check out our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash McGillOSS. And you can see previous videos uh, there. Also on our website, which is mcgill.ca slash OSS, you can sign up for our weekly uh, newsletter. Uh, also, as uh, you know, for many, many years, I've been doing a monthly lecture at the Eleanor London Public Library in Cote St. Luke. Obviously, now we cannot do it live, but we do it by Zoom. Uh, 
And tomorrow I'm going to be talking about nutrition for the brain. And if you want to join that for free, of course, you just go to the Eleanor London Public Library uh, website and you'll be guided there on how to catch the Zoom link. So that's tomorrow at 2 o'clock, the Eleanor London Public Library Zoom program. And I'll be talking about nutrition for the brain. Let's go to Jerry. Jerry. Good Dr. Joe. Hi. I think uh, the song people were protesting the nanotechnology of uh, water and stain-resistant clothing at Eddie Bowers. Exactly. Very good. Uh, they, of course, were worried that this new technology, nanotechnology, was going to somehow destroy the environment. And uh, do you know where the, uh, the statement that they had written on, on their uh, back, uh, where uh, did that come from? There's plenty of room at the bottom. That's uh, quite a famous quote. I, I don't know. It has to do with Teflon? I, I'm not no, sure. No, that, that no, that came from Rich, Richard Feynman, the oh. Nobel Prize winning physicist. And uh, that was in 1959. And the whole concept of nanotechnology really derives from from him. Uh Uh, So, you know, and uh, anyway, yeah, these people were actually protesting the nano pants because they were made of a material uh, called with a material called nanotex, which which made the uh, material impervious to to moisture and stain resistant. of course, there was nothing wrong with that material, and uh, their their protest actually uh, turned out not the way that they wanted because it brought extra attention to uh, to the fabric, and sales just went up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and uh, t- today, of course, there are all kinds of fabrics that are, are manufactured with nanomaterials, including some of the swimwear that is being used in the Olympics. Uh, because uh, it uh, uh, lubricates the surface and uh, they can glide through the water uh, more easily. And you might think that that doesn't really make much of a difference when you're talking about uh, the difference between first and second uh, being a few hundredths of a second. uh, These kind of things do make a difference. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks very much. That is indeed the uh, correct answer. All right, let's go to Steve. Steve. Hi. Um, just have a question about the transmissibility of the Delta variant. Um, we know that it's more transmissible through aerosols. Is it also more transmissible through touch, through o- touching objects, touching each other? And well, first of all, like the, 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 the touching transmissibility is very low, very, right. very low of, with any kind of, of, of virus. The reason that this is more transmissible is because there is what is called a greater viral load that when you get infected with this variant it replicates in your cells more quickly and more of the virus is produced and more of it is exhaled or spit out or sneezed out whatever that's the reason that that we say that it is more transmissible because the chance of you contracting the disease is directly proportional to the number of viral particles that you will inhale. And if there are more viral particles being exhaled by someone who's infected, that means that there's a greater chance that anyone nearby is going to inhale a greater number of these particles. Now, of course, it also means that if you're sneezing, there will be a greater concentration of these virions in 
in the sneeze. And if it lands on a surface, uh, there will be more particles. And if someone touches it, in, in theory, it should increase the uh, transmissibility. But as right. I said, that is not the way that this thing gets transmitted. Uh, this gets transmitted through the air, uh, from coughing, sneezing, or just breathing, not from touching things. Because right. when you touch something, it would have to have a very large load on the surface that you're touching, and then you would have to touch your nose or your eyes, and it mm -hmm. would have to be you know, absorbed. That is not a likely way that you transmit it. So that's not a concern. But the delta is a concern because you are just releasing more viral particles, uh, which means, as you know, the dose makes the poison. Here the dose is bigger, so the chance of infection is greater. So we okay. have to be careful. You know, I mean, obviously wearing the mask reduces the amount of uh, virus particles that uh, uh, get into the air from your mouth or from your nose. We have to be more so, careful than the people in Florida. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, in uh, Louisiana, you know, uh, yesterday I was listening to a news report where in New Orleans, if you were calling for an ambulance, they were saying none available because the hospitalizations there are increasing at uh, at such a rate. So, you know, the uh, the Americans are not doing this uh, properly. And uh, the anti-mask activity and the anti-vaccine activity is, is scary, uh, the extent to which that is happening in, in the U.S. Anyway, let's be careful here. All right. Thanks very much for the call. So once again, uh, we are running out of time here the hour just seems to to fly by but i think we learned a few things you learned something about the hydrogen economy you learned something about uh, dented cans and also about the reason that there was a protest back in 2005 in front of an eddie bauer clothing store again if you want to uh, have my uh, videos delivered to you in, through email every day uh, just send me an email, joe.schwartz, that's CZ at the end, at mcgill.ca. Check out our website, www.mcgill.ca, where we have lots of interesting uh, information for you.